This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. What I definitely underestimated was the reaction yesterday to Canada's new passport. I I think I thought it was about a 7 out of 10. I listened to some of the other shows. I think it was a 15 out of 10. I think there's so many people that aren't happy about it. Now, you can renew it online. That's good. They took Terry Fox out. That's bad. Oh, it's got several advanced security features. That's good. There's there's no reference to uh, Vimy Ridge. It's made uh, veterans, war veterans, very, very uh, upset about that particular uh, situation as well. Um, th- this was debated in the House of Commons yesterday, and I, I was trying to find out what I cannot find for the life of me what's in a USA passport. My own son had one. He was born there. He lived there until he was 19 months. We had to go get a, you know, a baby picture, his fat cheeks and everything. We had to like, he just, I I was worried we'd need too big a picture. Um, He's my son. I can say that he's a slender young lad right now of 17, but he's American born. So we had to go get a U.S. passport for him to travel. And uh, I cannot remember for the life of me what's in a U.S. passport. And it's really hard to find online. I'll give you what's in a U.K. passport because they just redesigned that. And they're a little more adventurous and brave than we are in Canada. They're a little more willing to stick their neck out and acknowledge their history. Here's a commentator, by the way, on uh, CBC Vancouver talking about because they were really mad that Terry Fox is out of the passport. You can. And I am, too. I am, too. There's somebody who has universal Canadian approval. Find a thing that you don't like about Terry Fox. We could do it with any politician, any historical figure, sports person, Don Cherry, Wayne Gretzky. You name it, Drake. You name it, and 30 or 40% of people will have a problem with him. Not Terry Fox. Here's what this particular university professor said. For our country as diverse as Canada with uh, incredible heroes and, and, and lots of monumental events just to have them narrowed down to random guy pushing wheelbarrow or arm cutting wood doesn't make a lot of sense. Hey, leave that random guy alone. That wheelbarrow stuff's hard work. Uh, yes, it naturally came up in the House of Commons yesterday. Look, you know, the big issues, Chinese election interference, um, you know, the economy, putting food on the table, inflation, and also squirrels in, in, in passports. Here's the opposition leader. This is the new passport they're so excited about, Mr. Speaker. They erased Vimy Ridge to put in an image of a squirrel eating a nut. They erased Terry Fox, a guy who ran halfway across the country to fight cancer, to put in a man raking leaves. And they erased Quebec City in order to put in what appears to be an image of a boyhood prime prime minister swimming at Harrington Lake. Could this prime minister be any more out of touch with Canadians? Mr. Speaker, while the Conservatives are trying to pick fights here in the House, we're focused on delivering for Canadians. As we move forward with the Budget Implementation Act... Oh, no, uh, no, 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 no. I'm jumping in. I'm jumping. I'm stopping the fight. He asked you about the squirrel in the nut. He asked you about the passport. Stop talking about budget implementation. But that's what happens when you're... Listen, listen, Pierre Polyev can become the Prime Minister someday and he'll do that kind of stuff. I'm sure uh, as well. So no doubt it's going to be an issue. No doubt people are still fired up about it. Maybe, just maybe. We're going to play you a caller from um, Kelly Cotrera's show yesterday. I heard it in the car. Guy was 24 years old, and he's like, I'm trying to learn about history, and everyone around me is making it really, really difficult for me to learn about our country and 
be proud of our country. This didn't sound like some kind of plant. This was a legitimately emotional 24-year-old about it, and we'll play it for you a little later on in the show. 613, uh, Sheba Siddiqui is our uh, producer extraordinaire. And uh, I want to ask you about your weekend because you mentioned to me, I said there's a lot going on. Toronto's going to be a bit of buzz, but you're heading to one of my favorite places on the planet. I got to go there <laughs> last year for a soccer tournament uh, for my kid. Uh, Niagara Falls, you're going to Niagara Falls. I am, but I mean, I'm, I'm not as excited as I guess one would be. I am going to Niagara Falls. Uh, you know, I have two, gr- I have two aunts. I guess they're my kid, my kids' great aunts. They're, they're like in their seventies. Uh, and they were born and raised in India. They're my dad's younger sister. Okay. They've never left India before ever in their lives. And they are now in Canada. They've come to Canada for the first time ever. They want to see, they've got three brothers here. You know, their brothers, who knows how much time they have left. So they said, we want to go see our brothers before something happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're here. They're in Montreal right now. They're on their way to Toronto today. And I'm spending, I'm going, I'm doing all the tourist stuff this weekend. So they want to see everything. It's a lifelong dream. As a child, whenever we had relatives coming from India, all they wanted to do was go to Niagara Falls. That's just a thing. That's It's in the Bollywood movies. It's on TV. Is it really? Yes. Niagara Falls is the place. For honeymoons it's, and stuff? Like, why is oh, it in the movies? Oh, yeah. Because it's just such a, they romanticize. And you know what? It is a very romantic place. It is. Take yeah. out the crowds. You take out, you know, all the chaos. The Boston Pizza on Clifton Hill. If you ignore that, it's <laughs> there's a lot of... <laughs> And uh, the mini and the mini golf. You know they have go karts for your seventy year old aunts. They have that go that up um, uh, elevated well, go kart the boat, track, right? They're doing the boat. They're, what is the, the boat? The called maid again? of the mist. Yeah, they're doing the maid of the mist with you know some other relatives. That's incredible. Right? No, so I'm like, you guys go have fun. I'm doing the driving. I'm going to drive everybody down there, loading ev- all these seniors into my minivan this weekend, taking two of my kids who don't have any hockey or basketball or sports going on uh-huh. and um we're gonna go to the arcade they can do made of the mist i think but yeah that's so i'm incredible. doing niagara falls this weekend i'm doing the cn tower this weekend i'm doing i'm doing all of these tourist things this weekend so they can get it all in yeah no, i i think we've just we've totally undersold um niagara falls there's 12 million visitors that come from other countries a year to niagara falls three million are from the u.s and I think, well, that's a big number, 3 million Americans, but it, it's right on the NAM border. So some, so some of them probably come more than once. You get but, that. But, but there are a lot of immigrants. That that's what I mean. The idea see. that 9 million people yes. come from places outside of the U.S. to Niagara Falls. It is a big deal that we take for granted, frankly. I mean, I, I go to Niagara Falls. There's nothing else to do. Like, yeah, let's go check it out. Whatever. This is like a lifelong dream for many people. And I do. I personally know people who've... Their dream has been to have their honeymoon in Niagara Falls. That's right. That's right. Well, they, I mean, it's the honeymoon capital, right? The band Honeymoon Suite was from Niagara Falls and they called themselves that because they are from Niagara Falls. And so they called it Honeymoon Suite. So 616, I, I wish, I wish I was going. Do you need, do you need me for a couple hours? Do you want yes. me to Yes. Can to you speak? drive? Can you drive, please? Um, yes. Well, I don't. The, drive my, us around. My rates aren't cheap. I'll, uh, I'll you, say it's, it's more expensive than your average Uber or Lyft. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I give tourist ideas. I give, I give hot takes about sports and music and politics as well. They're going to turn to me at some over point the loudspeaker in Hindi or Urdu. Urdu they're going to say, "Does this guy ever stop talking?" Yeah, and I won't. When they're insulting me, I won't understand it. Which is probably uh, that happens quite. <laughs> no, they're going to be flirting with you. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto. We're joined right now on the line by former Deputy Mayor of Toronto. She is running for mayor this time round. She was the first to put her name in uh, as the deadline comes today, and uh, and of course she uh, she wants your vote on June twenty sixth. She is Anna Bylaw. Anna, it's great to have you back on Toronto today. Thanks for the time. Always great to be here, Greg. 
uh, almost uh, 90 candidates. I, I have a feeling the next time, and I know you're hoping that you'll be an incumbent mayor the next time this happens, I feel like the entry fee will be more than $200, but that's my editorial comment to say 90 is a lot. It, do, do we need to do something about that process that allows 90 people? I know it's democracy, but it's pretty easy to do. It is easy and it is democracy. And uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, bringing forward ideas, it's the most important thing and, and making sure that there's a conversation and there's engagement with voters throughout this process. That's the most important thing. I, I'm focused my attention on that to make sure that we're reaching out to voters across the city from Scarborough to Etobicoke, from North York to downtown that we're talking about the issues uh, and we're listening to the people. And uh, believe me, I'm listening about the services in the city, about housing, uh, about congestion. And, uh, and these are the issues that, uh, that we're talking about and that uh, I'm addressing uh, and that I will be addressing as mayor on June 27th. Two days ago, uh, multiplex housing, um, finally, um, after a long time in which it, it wasn't legal to build in, in you know large areas of the city, um, now will be allowed to build. But we're playing a real catch-up game here. What's, our, what's your reaction to multiplexes finally being allowed? Uh, I'm very happy to see this happen. Uh, I've been working on, you know, the missing middle uh, for some time. You know, we started this conversation with laneway housing and then coach housing and now multiplexes, uh, which is, you know, three, four apartments. We've actually allowed four apartments in in the neighborhoods within that box that currently exists. And what, uh, what this means is that we need to keep going. We can't stop here. You know, what I hear from people is, they don't want a city that is only 80 stories and then single family homes. They want that missing middle so families can still live in neighborhoods, so people can still age in place. And that's why this conversation about making it easier for people to stay in their neighborhoods and making it uh, make more housing options available is so important. But we can't stop. So in my housing plan, I'm focused on uh, creating planning reforms and making it easier and as of right to have more of that missing middle. So on our avenues, for example, making sure that the eight stories, the six stories, the 10 stories, depending on the, uh, the avenue, that it can be done as of right, that we get rid of the red and we do these things as of right. But uh, yesterday, having multiplexes um, uh, approved uh, is is great work. I'm very happy to see it uh, to see it uh, happening, and uh, we need to keep at it. One thing I hear from Toronto residents is they're excited it's happening. They'd ask why it took so long. So let me ask a 12 year member of City Council from 2010 to 2022 why it took so long. Well, I I think uh, you know. Uh, some people see the, the benefits of it. The other ones we need to make sure we bring along. You know, people, some, some people call it nimbyism. We need to make sure that this, is, uh, this change is understood by people. And now people understand what this actually means. It means their kids being able to live in the neighborhood that they grew up. It means, uh, you know, areas of the city that, has been ac- that have been actually having a population decrease actually having people living in there, supporting the small business, taking advantage of the services that are in there, seniors that have lived there all their life now being able to continue to live because they can, you know, probably add an apartment. It's a source of income, is a source of support for them. So I think uh, we need to move, uh, continue to move in this direction, continue and move even faster. Uh, but it was it was a a, a good step. I'm I'm looking. It's hard thing to to look back on and and um, and validate. But how many times in those twelve years did you forcefully advocate for multiplex housing to be legalized throughout Toronto, I, either through the media or at council itself? 
it's it's been like I said, it started with laneway housing, uh, which we were able to uh, to to get done a few years ago. Uh, I've started working on this back in 2018. <laughs> and and as mayor, I can tell you that I will be pushing this forward. Uh, as you know, I'm I'm a champion for years on this. Uh, I've brought council together and communities together around this. You know, we need to engage the city uh, on this conversation so that this doesn't become a polarizing issue, but becomes a unifying issue. Because when you start talking to people and saying, what's more important? Is it, you know, making sure that we have the housing that we need for our families, for our workers, or is it, you know, maintaining the character of the neighborhood? And I, very, very often I said, no, I get the answer. No, we want to make sure that our kids can live in here, that our workers can live in here, and that our, our, our city is socially and economically healthy. And that's, you know, that's what this means, that people can afford to live here, that, have, that we have an opportunity to succeed. I know you're looking forward, but I'm looking for a level of responsibility for all the mayors and all the members of council that this took so long. And I'd, I'd run this right from David Miller, right through Rob Ford, right through John Tory, and all the members of council. You were there more than a decade. And this just, if there were loud voices, Anna, they weren't loud enough and they didn't they didn't get the job done. So you either sort of succeed or fail to get, to get housing done, built like this. And we failed for decades to get it done. It, it was a planning system that it was, you know, is, it was an exclusionary planning system that we've had that excluded people and that had bias towards certain forms of housing and, to, and you know, rental and so on, that we needed to change that. So this we're talking about transformative change. What, what happens with these changes to planning it's an, a different way to plan our city to make it more inclusive. That's what we're talking about. And, uh, and, uh, and we're moving in the, that, that direction. And I am committed to move even faster, to be honest. You've made some announcements about traffic congestion. Um, I, I think I won't call it an undersold or underrated issue, but I have heard from people that say, I like the sound of this. It's the simplest things. It's making sure your kids can walk safe to school. It's making sure seniors can walk or even ride a bike safely to the store. What are some of these things you've gotten at this week that you think will help there? Greg, uh, people are frustrated out there. And I think what you said something that I believe truly believe it's like there's so many common sense common sense approaches that we can take to this issue you know the the uh on queen street everybody's frustrated because queen street is now closed because of the ontario line making sure that uh uh we i don't allow i will not allow the lane closures on richmond on adelaide on dundas during the the ontario line construction making sure that we extend the construction uh time so that the construction happens uh faster Go hard on ticket and towing. You know, these uh, we, we've had in the past blitzes in the city that have been very successful. I will make these permanent and citywide. You know, how frustrated we all get when that there's one that one person that parked illegally uh, during rush hour and uh, and that everybody gets stuck behind that one car. We need to get uh, get tough on that and make sure that uh, that uh, we ticket and tow that. We need to make sure that we use technology as well. So we have all these bright light cameras now in the city. We need to make sure that they're connected in, an, in a way that we can get uh, ticketing so that people that block intersections, for example, 
you know, uh, pay for for the inconvenience that they're causing the 99% of the ones that uh, don't do that. And then you talked about um, uh, kids' safety. Yes, just yesterday, mm-hmm. um, I, I launched uh, uh, the pilot on kids' safety zone with this new technology that has been used in cities around the world, including here in, in Montreal, which is these mobile red light cameras that only turn green when the driver uh, comes at or below the speed limit. You know, these are common sense approaches to the issue um, and making sure, because for me it is important to make sure that if you're, it doesn't matter if you're driving, walking, taking the TTC or or, um, uh, walking, that you do it safely and you do it uh, and and we get the city moving. I got a minute here on the gardener. I know the vote went yesterday not to not to stop construction, not to stop building that that uh, that eastern quarter about a three kilometer span. Um, that's that you voted uh, for it not to like not to get new information. It's simply is that simply we're waiting too long on all these other transit projects. The last thing we can do is delay this any degree of months or even a year. We need to build this now. We, we need to build this now. We need to stop the, the, the debates on decisions that were made and, and that actually these decisions will even impact other projects. Uh, but most importantly, I think that yesterday was clear that uh, council agrees with me that we need to make sure that the province takes responsibility over the garden and the DVP. Um, the, at the end of the day, we've heard from staff there's no savings in, in bringing mm-hmm. it down the 240 meters. People also don't realize that when we're talking about bringing down the gardener and, you know, or keeping it up, yeah. it will be 240 meters of an eight-lane boulevard. Uh, that you would have with traffic signals in the middle of the connection between the gardener and the DVP. Uh, one of the busiest uh, corridors for goods and services and people. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we need to make sure that the conversation is actually about the fact that these highways were provincially uh, owned uh, until the 90s. They were the responsibility of the province. They need to go back yeah. uh, to be I, the responsibility of the province. Anna, we'll keep going on it. Have a great weekend. Thanks for giving us time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Always great talking to you. Anna Bylaw joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, so Multiplex has got approved. We talked to Anna Bylaw about it a little bit earlier. Uh, someone who's been fantastic on this front and wrote a great column about it in the Globe and Mail. Uh, Alex Bozikovic uh, joins us. He's the architecture critic for the Globe and Mail, but has a vested interest in, uh, in this for sure. Alex, thanks so much for coming on the show. We always like having you on Toronto Today. Um, what, what's your make of this? I pressed Anna a little bit on like why for decades and decades um, these kind of multiplex homes, three units, four units, we all used to live in them in other cities. We'd visit people living in them in other cities and, and we just didn't have them in Toronto. It's an excellent question. And I think a lot of people were surprised when they learned that small apartment buildings are actually illegal, but they are. And Toronto has gone back and forth over the last hundred years between banning these buildings then allowing them to happen in some places and then banning them again. You know, if you go back to the years around 1900, when Toronto was growing really quickly, it was still a very conservative place. And there was an alderman of the old city of Toronto at that time who made a comment about apartments saying effectively that people, apartments bring out the wrong kind of people. The right sort of citizen is one who lives in a house with his family. And that attitude, in one way or another, has sort of crept along through a hundred years of policymaking, uh, you know, defending the houses, defending the house neighborhoods against the wrong sorts of families and the wrong sorts of people. 
strange as that is, here we are. All of these issues, so many of these issues seem to have been electrified that are issues now, and I'm talking very macro with this mayoral by-election, that just didn't seem to be on the table um, for the mayoral election or even for the councillors. But you wrote this in your column, the pro-housing coalition is young and growing. Did you spot this a little bit last fall with younger, um, more energetic people about changing how we view housing, getting elected to city council? A lot of rookies. There were a lot of veterans that that either were pushed out or decided to go do something else. So, so the new blood is making a difference here. I think the new blood helps absolutely, and I think you know, and I give full credit to young folks like Jamal Myers, um, you know, who's been really a leader on this file, but veteran counselors as well, including Gord Perks, who I have you know debated this issue with many times over the years, are also in favor of it. I think what's happened is that younger people get this; they get it because if they've been looking for an apartment in the last ten years, they know how expensive it is and they know how few options there are. And older people maybe have been able to ignore the problem of a lack of options and a lack of housing. But at this point, they get it. And we are starting to see a real coalition grow around the idea that we should be open up our neighborhoods. We should open up the whole city for more people and more different kinds of families. And, you know, I think that's a popular policy. Uh, It has been held up because, you know, a lot of the people who are the loudest uh, homeowners and homeowners associations don't like it. And yet, you know, it will eventually start to happen. You know your stuff. How far are we behind on this front? This is no uh, panacea. I, I think there's so many things that are going to take a half. I think it's this is going to be a hellish city to drive in for the next five years. I think transit is going to, I think the next five years are just going to be a tough period. But for our kids, for our grandkids, this is a big step. Like this may be a decade before we really see um, some growth that that is tangible. Well, I'm going to offer sort of a two, uh, two-part answer on this. You know, first of all, full credit is due to some of the folks at Toronto City Planning. You know, there are a number of staffers who have been pushing this issue along starting in about 2020. And in fact, even before that, if you look at some more subtle policy changes. So they have understood that all of these strange policies I was just complaining about need to go. And then the province sort of pushed them further in the last year with, uh, with a new bill, uh, the More Homes Built Faster Act, I think it is. So, you know, the city, city planning has gotten out ahead of this uh, and are looking to make change. The question is what kind of change we need and how long it's going to take. Because these three and four unit buildings are probably not going to appear in huge numbers. And even when they do, you know, 100 four unit buildings is still only 400 apartments, right? You know, and a single high rise is, you know, 200 or 300 apartments. So if we're facing a problem of not enough places to live and a hugely growing city, which we are, we're going to need to have some bigger buildings. And in my hope and my expectation is that what just happened this week will open the door and start a broader conversation about allowing that to happen in more places in the city. Alex Bozikovic uh, joining us from the Globe and Mail. Last thing before you go, you, you tweeted a photo of a building and you write, this building went up on a side street in 1931. So that's the building you tweeted. It should be legal to build again. And probably when I look at it, it looks exactly like a building I lived in when I first moved to Windsor when I was 25. I had no money. I owed $12,000 of student loans and it might have I might have rented it in 1997 for like maybe 500 bucks. But I look at this, Alex, and I see it looks like 40 people could live there. And in any other circumstance, at most, what, that, that's a that's a two-family two dwelling in the same amount of space? Like, you can have 10 times the amount of people if we had hundreds of these all over the place. You know, do the math exponentially. The, look at what this has cost us. 
I think you're exactly right. And the, this is the strange thing that there are those old apartment buildings that went up before World War II. And in Toronto, there are a lot of apartments that went up in the 1950s and 1960s mm-hmm. as well. When we opened the door to a lot of new housing, when the city was growing quickly with a lot of immigrants, as it is today, when it was growing with people like my father's immigrant family who lived in one of those slab towers that everybody loves to hate. And the fact is that, you know, those buildings provided housing for a lot of people. There were a lot of them, and they are now part of the fabric of the city. So to argue that they don't fit or that we shouldn't allow them to happen again is a bit of a strange thing. So I think we may be ready to rediscover our history as a city. Mm. Alex, great stuff. Love uh, love getting your insight on this. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Greg. Alex Bozikovic. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Free menstrual products are coming to federally regulated workplaces. Um, It's going to take some time. That will come in December. But that's not near as much time as it took just to get this done period um when it comes to federal governments um the provincial government got free menstrual products in schools earlier uh, last year as a matter of fact and and there'd been calls for that forever almost through all 15 years of of liberal governments here to address it she's pushed for this really hard is our own colleague host of uh today and to the podcast and of course let's talk between seven and ten let's talk with danny stover in the evening she is the aforementioned danny stover you're getting up early for us also i i feel like you're the night owl of our staff so i hate bothering <laughs> you before 7 a.m but i'm really you. not but no? uh it feels good to be up early it's the sun is out at this time, I didn't realize it's harder to get up early in February. It's harder to get up the week after Christmas oh, <laughs> this yeah. hour yeah. when you're going to do uh, 80% of your show in the dark. I, I mentioned this um, to provide free products for women having their period in federal buildings just seems to me to be we give people like I don't mean to be crass. We give people toilet paper and we give people water and we give people soap. We give people essentials. Women have told us for decades that this is also an essential product and it's taken till 2023 to do this. Yeah, and I'll share a personal story that kind of took off um, in our very own world-class building, Chorus Key, which is a gorgeous facility. So many wonderful things to do. Um, There are, in fact, three foosball tables. I counted. (laughs) Um, But last week or a a couple weeks ago, I got my period at work and I was not prepared. And so I could not find, for the life of me... a period product and you know how it is sometimes the office is kind of you know there's not a lot of people around so it wasn't like i could ask somebody so Shouting I was kind out of loud is, is not is not a uh yeah that, that's not a, a fail-proof solution that uh yeah. that you need something yeah so i kind of made this video kind of calling out like hey we've got three foosball tables and we've got a slide and we've got a living wall and all of these wonderful cool things and yet i can't find a tampon when i need one and and i've had a lot of a- amazing discussions with um, non-menstruating co-workers like yourself lately. And it's it's actually kind of refreshing. So we've decided it's kind of like having a pen. If you mm-hmm. don't bring a pen to work one day, you'd hope your workplace has one for you. Uh, forks, for some reason, Chorus also has a shortage of forks. It'd be nice if they provide forks. So I'm just trying to make connections, parallels between what other things do we kind of expect to be there that are maybe not even essential products like period products would be um, that we've just kind of normalized. It's like, yep, that's something that I can expect my workplace to provide. You'll help. And it's not- you'll, well, you'll help every male listener understand this. If you were to go to Yorkdale Mall or the Eaton Center or, or Scotiabank for a game or a concert, when you go in the women's uh, bathroom, what is in there? Do you have access in, in there already? Well, we, there was a dispenser. So there was a dispenser, which was kind of tucked in behind 
the the bathroom door. Um, but you need 50 cents, two quarters to get a tampon that I'm sure has been in there for 20 years. So these aren't quality products. These aren't products that people actually use. And so that's an important part of the conversation too, is, is giving the luxury of choice and, and allowing people to menstruate with dignity. And we all know the feeling of going to use a bathroom, doing our business and reaching down and there's no toilet paper. And that feeling is awful. Yeah, uh, I, I, and again, I think you're you're opening the eyes of a lot of men or or some women that just haven't even given it it a thought. When I think about and Danny, when I think about Scotiabank Arena and how much Leafs games and Raptors games and concerts cost, I kind of feel like they could um they they could maybe provide those products for free, like at like an X amount for every single event when they've got eighteen thousand people in in that arena. I, I feel like fifty cents is a little trivial to them, but that's me yeah. saying that. Well, and the and the criticism is, well, if you start providing them, the people will take advantage. But like, again, we can use the toilet paper example. How many times are you going to use the bathroom at work or at Scotiabank Arena and you're swiping some toilet paper for later? You know, it sometimes happens, sure, but it usually speaks to a bigger issue at, at its core. And you can't stop that from happening at the best of times. So why punish people who need these items because of, you know, a small minority that may take advantage? Danny Stover is our guest, host of Toronto and Today, and Let's Talk with Danny Stover, which airs here at 7 o'clock uh, this evening, as a matter of fact. Any concept as to why this took so long? And I'd follow that up with asking, why? at what point did you go, something's not right about this. This is an essential product for women every month, not a couple times a year, not once every few years. And I don't know that there's a male equivalent um somebody some wisecracker might go hey cologne condoms kind of stuff we see i'm like no 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 no. you can (laughs) those aren't essential needs at the moment in the immediacy of 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 your need they're not like that's that's not a fair parallel the uh my personal kind of journey in this started i think i want to say in like 2015 there were talks to take the tax off of uh period products in canada which was removed um so that was a big deal and that kind of got me energized in this space but you're right like the <laughs> the whataboutism in this space is pretty incredible and you bring up cologne and condoms sure i've had people bring up ball ticklers like there's just people uh... that are that don't get <laughs> what we're trying to do and are like well if you start providing these products you must start providing these and it's you know it's not the same and to touch on why it took so long, why does anything take so long? Um, this has been, uh, I know a lot of advocates, including the period purse, have been fighting for this since 2019 and working at a, a municipal and provincial and federal level to get things done. Um, advocate, advocacy is one of our pillars, along with education mm-hmm. and outreach. So that's a big part of what we do. Um, so this will, <laughs> you know, when I look at the timeline, I laugh to myself because I'm in this space as well with news and I just know like things take so long to get implemented. Um, but we are happy about this. I'm sure, you know, it could always be better. Um, they could always be doing more. Um, the next part of this will be um, working on free period products to Indigenous communities because that's a big problem as well, getting um, quality products that are affordable um, and also implementing some reusable options. So that will come along with a $25 million menstrual equity fund. And so this is big. Like other countries are doing Stuff like this. They Scotland are. just made period products free. So so we're in line to get this moving, to be kind of at the forefront of this. And I think um, I like what's happening. I think more could be done always. Um, but I'm happy with this announcement. And I'm looking forward to December when 
uh, it'll roll out. Well, I also think we can bring this down to other, other levels of government. Looking at it last night, 41 of the 50 U.S. states have bills related to period equity, in, if not implemented, at least introduced. Ann Arbor, that's a city I know well in Michigan, recently passed a lot of stock all public toilets with menstrual products. I know what people are going to say, because you've done this story and I've done this story. In Toronto, we can't even get outdoor bathrooms opened until July at all. So we don't have access Absolutely. to water toilets. But that seems to me to be a baseline in indoor buildings, especially any public buildings in the city of Toronto. At the bottom line, I know people will, will make that point. But like I said, there's nothing as unique as I need this and I need it now. And that's why we put them in schools. And never mind the awkwardness of somebody who's 11 or 12 or 13 feeling really conscious about it. You don't want to ask your teacher for for a tampon. You don't want to ask your friends for a tampon. You don't want to ask your frenemies for a tampon. You want your you want that access in case you didn't bring one to school. These just seem like obvious things to me. And kids miss school when they don't have uh, the products uh, that are appropriate. And you're right. It is it is kind of a taboo subject. I talk about it all the time. I sometimes forget that people get a little squirmish about it. But at the end of the day, menstrual health is health. And, you know, what got me was thinking about people who get their period who are like, oh, man, now I'm going to have to spend $15 on a, a pack of tampons. I'm not affording dinner tonight. And so people are making these choices. You mentioned the bathrooms. That's a huge part of this as well. Yeah. Not having a comfortable space to go and and deal with something that's not always comfortable. It's 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 equity at the end of the day. And we need to be making sure that half of the population that menstruates, over half of the population, uh, can do so with dignity and comfort and, and with health in mind because it will lead to other problems. I think it's a big story to uh, to reset it. In all federal buildings, uh, the federal government announced they'll provide free period products. That starts in December. But again, we can do this to the provincial level. We can, we've can we done this in, in every Ontario school. Give Stephen Lecce credit. He did that. Danny, I'm glad you brought this to our attention. We'll, um, you know, it's the first time the the, the Tickler thing's been mentioned on Toronto today. I don't I don't know how boring the Leaf game would have to be that people would want that in the bathroom at a at Scotiabank Arena. But either way, you know, they, they do I some, mean, play some January games where it, it gets a little long, I suppose. Yeah. I have to provide it for them if it's an essential need. <laughs> that might be where people put up the hand for the stop sign, but I don't know. Uh we'll be listening tonight. Thanks so much for this this morning. Thank you. Danny Stover, host of Today in Toronto. Download that podcast. It drops every Wednesday, and she's on uh, hosting Let's Talk Tonight. You sometimes hear uh, my voice on, uh, don't, but don't let that dissuade you on uh, Let's Talk with Danny Stover, 7 o'clock every evening. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. You insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Our in out. Um, let's do gardening. I don't like it. It's stressful. I want to do. People say, get outside, enjoy the sun. Gardening stresses me out. Planting flowers stresses me out weeding stretches i got dandelions all over my lawn today sheba and you know i've had a pinched nerve all week i'm not myself i i, I feel terrible about it but i'm not i can't bend over and pick up that's the worst part of the spring is picking up dandelions who enjoys gardening i'm out on gardening that's me saying that i am absolutely in mm. on gardening i love it my family has asked me what do you want to do for mother's day and I said, don't take me to some brunch. I don't want to go to some fancy dinner. I want to spend the day gardening. 
So literally, I want to plant all of my flower beds. I want to get uh, just the garden beds ready. I want to get the flowers. I want to get the hanging baskets out. Uh, I love being in the soil. I love, I love de weeding. The soil, it's, so it's dirty. No, well, you wear, I wear gloves. I wear, no, uh, but I don't wear gloves because it's dirty. I wear gloves because of like the spiders and the worms and stuff. I just don't. There's another them. reason not to like it. You don't like spiders, no, and now I know looks, you don't like worms. It's so satisfying <laughs> though when you're done. It's, and, it's like, relentless. And you did it yourself. It's repetitive. Then, you get soil under your fingernails. Do you have a de weeder? You know those little machines. Oh, I, I don't know how to work them. That's the. You just brought up more stress. I buy that them and I don't know me. how to step on them properly oh, and get the dandelions up. So satisfying when the roots come right out in that one like kick of the it's I love it. There's heavy graveling also. Like like if a neighbor said to me, What are you doing on Saturday? And I'm like, something fun. And he was like, Well, I'm going to get some paving stones and gravel. I'm like, you may as well be in prison. This sounds terrible. Gord, are you in or out on gardening? <laughs> I'm so in on gardening. What? Yes. Love it. Why? Hey, well, First off, you leave the dandelions. They're good for bees. Bees like the dandelions. Why do I want bees in my yard stinging no, me? And, no, and, I don't and like the way they we look. We need bees. <laughs> we need Shiva, bees. Shiva doesn't like them aesthetically. She's not worried about the stings. <laughs> they are beautiful, actual yeah. bugs. Yeah, well, we need them in the whole bigger uh, ecology we picture. We do. We do. Yeah, and my wife is laughing at uh, you, by the way, Brady. I just, well, she, I don't know what to put in a pot. I What do I leave in a pot? I, I've planted cedars before. I've rototilled. So I've done it. I'm not saying yeah. I haven't done it. So you have no flowers. You have no flower but beds on your front lawn. Uh, we have. We, that's a Mrs. Brady item, and I oh, so, absolutely. Oh, I don't see. ban her from gardening. So you're just, lying on the couch the whole day while she's out there. I'm out there just on a lawn. I'm checking the lawn. I'm the lawn person, and I okay, handle recycling I and garbage. Though so I have like yeah. this is all on my business. Similar but to it, my house. It's just weeding is the is soul crushingly boring. It never oh, no ends. You don't put no music way. on, some earbuds, and listen it, to some it, tunes, it, and, and, uh, and, and audio book. Why did we make this? How your lawn looks and how your beds look somehow is the litmus test for being a worthy member of the community. When did this happen? Why am I a bad neighbor? Because I have dandelions. But I know that I am because I have. Dan- I'm being judged. But dandelions on my lawn, not enough beds. Your lawn turned brown when you went away. That's not a. That's not the value of a person's heart or soul or brain. Uh, well, I'm tired of it. Reflects. We don't want neighbors like you. Yeah, you See? bring down the property oh. value. Boy, the, nim- the nimbyism in the studio today is out of control. Yes. Dave Bradley, gardening. You can't enjoy. Going and getting paving stones and weeding and dandelions and and you're bugs on, and dirty you're on fingernails. An island by yourself what on this one. The hell? I do like it. Yeah, I absolutely. I worked in a garden center when I was in high school, so uh, some of that knowledge stuck with me. Don't you feel bad for the people? The people who came in with droopy eyes. They're not excited. No, they're, they're, they're all They've been excited. sent there by a spouse. Their you know marriage what? is hanging on by a thread if they don't get this right. I would say 95% of the people who used to come in were excited and, and looking for answers and what can I use here and things like that, planning. It was all, it was, it's good fun. I don't know. And it's like life. Things grow, they bloom, they die. Yeah. It's just, it's so depressing yeah. to me. For dandelions, you can get one of those pickers you don't even have to bend over. That's true too. That's true.